loved ones, so good to be worshiping with you all. Well, I'm going to add my welcome to Kevin, uh, who welcomed you earlier, and just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas. What a joy, what a joy it is to be worshiping with you all this evening. And if you are, if you are part of our church family here at Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, can we just stop for a moment and say what an amazing year of gospel grace the Lord has given to this church. Amen? Absolutely. Lives changed for the glory of God. As I see your faces out here, I see just and hear your testimonies. Many of you getting baptized in a few weeks from now. Praise the Lord. Come on. But just seeing the awesome work of the Savior is truly, truly humbling. We praise him for that. And if you are here and you're a friend, you're visiting with us, friend, we want to say welcome to you. We are glad that you are here, whether you've been watching online for a while, whether you came with a family member, whatever, we're just so thankful to have you with us. We pray the Lord uses you in a powerful way this evening. And I'm confident, I'm confident that you have felt welcome when you walked in here this evening. Uh, joining us, and Lord willing, we look forward to seeing you very soon. We've been praying for you, and look forward to what God has in store. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, put up your hand nice and high. Our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put a copy of God's Word in your lap. This is Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. We are going to need our Bibles, and it is our text tonight is on page 500 of those Bibles that are being handed out to you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Well, what an immense privilege, loved ones. What an immense privilege that we have to come together and celebrate God's good news of great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at this past year... Man, it just hits me afresh every single time. Do we ever need to hear good news of great joy? Amen? Look at this past year. Look at what's happened on a global scale, on a national scale, and on a personal scale in our lives. Do we ever need to hear good news of great joy? Anyone read the news lately? Anyone read that? We used to have these things called newspapers. I really liked those. Maybe there's still some kicking around. But you read the news lately? Look what's happened this past year. This world and even our lives, our personal lives, are saturated with bad news. Grievous news. Fear-inducing news. Anxiety-producing news. And even, what's this all about? Fake news. Fake news. Instead of bringing us peace, we're just face-to-face with conflict. Instead of leading us to joy, leads us to anger. Instead of leading us to reconciliation with others of differing opinions, we live in a cancel culture now. You don't agree with what I agree with, well, I'm canceling you out. Because it's not loving for you not to agree with me on everything. 
Instead of leading us to hope, it leads us to despair. And let it, instead of leading us to love, it leads us to fear. And instead of leading us to life, it leads to death. It's all over the place. And here's the problem. Here's the problem, loved ones, that you and I face every single day. We are desperately asking and searching in our hearts, where's the hope? There's people all over this globe right now asking, where's the hope? I need some of you in this room. Where's the hope? Where can I find peace and love in the midst of chaos that will last? Where can I find true good news of great joy that will last, not just in my life now, but for eternity and never cease? You and me and every single person of the 8 billion people on this planet search for these things in places in this world that we cannot find it. Empty, discouraged, hopeless. That's the end of pursuing it there. Why? Loved ones, we must hear this tonight. Only God, only the God-given good news is what our hearts truly long for. Only the God-given good news is what our hearts truly long for. Say this with me. Good news is God news. Let's say it again. Good news is God news. And here's the big idea. Here is the big idea of Christmas. Write this down. Because this whole text is pointing to this right here. Write this down. God's good news of great joy is that Jesus has come. God's good news of great joy is that Jesus has come and all who believe in him will be saved. Welcome to Christmas. Merry Christmas. That is the truth of Christmas. What all of these lights and all of these gifts and all of this fellowship represents is that good news of great joy. That Jesus has come and all who believe in him will be saved. And here in our text tonight, we are going to see three truths that God's good news of great joy means for us today. And through which we can live with faith in this day and courage in these days, hope in these days, peace, love, joy, and confidence of eternal life in Jesus Christ. You ready to go? You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. We are going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Let's stand together, read this nice and loud. Here we go. This is the word of God to us, the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Lord, help us to get your word and to be gotten by your 
word. All right, let's go, loved ones. Good news of great joy. Here it is. God's good news of great joy confirms his plan. God's good news of great joy confirms his sovereign plan. Here's the question facing from verses 1 to 7 that we just read. Jesus has been God's sovereign plan from the beginning. Jesus has been God's sovereign plan from the beginning. But here's the question facing you and I from verses 1 to 7. Will you believe that? Will you believe that? That Jesus is God's sovereign plan from the beginning. Here in verses 1 to 7, let's get our context. Israel is in the, we're in Israel and we're in the days of Mary's pregnancy with Jesus. Luke chapter 1, we saw this is a virgin birth. This is not some natural childbirth. This is a virgin birth supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. And so what does that mean? The virgin birth is absolutely crucial because it means that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Absolutely crucial truth. We'll get more to that in a moment. But Rome, here's what we need to know right now. Rome is the dominant empire of the day. And it had conquered most of the known world at the time, including Israel. So Israel, here's the backdrop, ready? Israel is under Roman oppression right now. All right, you look at the map. Look at the empire of Rome. Everywhere in yellow that you see there is the Roman Empire. Like they are on a tear. They are the most dominant nation in the world. And look at verse 1. Go back to the text. Caesar Augustus is the ruler of the empire. And he orders a census of that entire empire. All the world, all of the Roman world, to number each nation by each family and tribe. And what's the result of this? Well, we see it in verse 3. Go back to the text. Verse 3. All had to be registered in their hometowns. Had to go back to their tribal origins. And then we get reintroduced to this young couple in verses 4 to 5. Mary and Joseph. Now notice in verse 5 that word betrothed. Circle the word betrothed in your Bibles. Betrothed is not like, you think, oh, well, that's just engagement. Listen, betrothal is not like Canadian 2023 engagement. Okay, betrothal was actually a two-year process. And actually, for the last year of the betrothal, the engagement process, the future husband and wife, they couldn't even see each other. They had to stay apart. And so this betrothal was legally binding. You actually needed a divorce to get out of the betrothal. It was serious. They're legally pledged to be married, but they are not yet consummated in their marriage. And so notice Mary and Joseph, go to the text. They need to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You're like, oh, that's no big deal. You know, kind of say, okay, but let's put up the map. Remember, you're in the Middle East. This is a desert and there's mountains, okay? They're up in Nazareth. Okay, circled right there. Next slide. And now they need to go to Bethlehem. That, loved ones, is a grueling 70-mile trip. Now, Mary 
is about nine months pregnant. Now, full disclosure, I've never been pregnant. But my wife has. Four times. And I bet if I took a survey of the women in this room who are currently pregnant or have been pregnant, you probably wouldn't want to take a 70-mile trip across a desert on a donkey. Anyone? Nah, not really too comfortable, right? Why do they have to do this? Because both Mary and Joseph are part of the tribe of Benjamin. And remember, they had to go back to their tribal origins. And Benjamin, is the center of that is Bethlehem. They were of the house and family line of King David, you see in the text, verse 5, who it was prophesied by the Messiah, that it, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the line of David. We'll get more to that in a moment. Now I want you to notice what happens in verses 6 to 7. Go back to the text, it's so good. And while they were there, they get to Bethlehem. Go Mary, you're a champion, huh? The time came. For her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now I want you to circle that phrase, the time came. The time came. That is very significant. You know what that means? That's a fixed time. The Greek construct of that in the original language means it is a fixed, allotted time. This is not random timing. You're like, oh, the time came. No, 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 no. This is not random timing. This is not man-made timing. This was fixed by God's timing. The sovereign God who holds all of history in his hand. This is God's way. Okay, stop for a sec. I literally doubt that anyone thought the Messiah would be coming this way. Totally unexpected. Upside down. Seems foolish. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we need to understand why knowing that why Luke wrote Caesar Augustus is in control. Because Caesar thinks he's orchestrated all of this. It's my census that's bringing them. That's bringing all the people. Caesar thinks he's orchestrated all of this. Caesar, the ruler of the most powerful empire in the world, thinks he has all the power. But notice this. Behind the scenes, God is working all of this out in his sovereignty. Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. And he just turns it any way he wishes. God doesn't do random. The time came means God's time came. And nothing's going to stop that. He is sovereign. He has all authority. He has all power to fulfill his promise that he made thousands of years earlier. Actually, all the way back in Genesis 3. And he's even using, be encouraged with this loved ones today, when you watch the news, he's even using an oppressive ruler named Caesar to orchestrate the greatest miracle the world had ever seen. Because he can. He's God. And he won't be stopped. 
And he's going to accomplish his will and plan that he had before the foundation of the world. In fact, we even see this in prophecy of Micah 5.2, written about 700 years before this moment of Jesus' birth. Look what Micah prophesied under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem was like a... It's just a leftover thought. You know, Bethlehem is not, I used to live about 10 miles from Bethlehem. And you know, Bethlehem is only, even back in this day, it's only about 1,000 people. It's this tiny little village. And so look at, look at the, the specificity of this prophecy. You who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, Bethlehem, the no place ever where people wanted to go will come forth for me, God says. One who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I want to encourage you with that as you read that. No matter what is happening around us in society today, the division that is rampant, the conflict, the pain, loved one, no matter how hard the struggles may be, and Christmas can be a struggle for many people. We've lost loved ones at Christmas. Have you lost a loved one at Christmas? It can be hard. And this season can bring up those thoughts, those feelings. I want to encourage you, no matter how hard the struggles may be, no matter what government is in power, what decisions they make, no matter what the media forecasts for the outlook of 2024, which is pretty gloom, listen, all is ultimately submitted to God's divine power. This is his time. And he is orchestrating all of it according to his perfect and wise plan and timing to accomplish his good purpose for his people, for his glory and the building of his kingdom. And nothing and no one can stop him. That is the good news of great joy. Amen? Nothing and no one can stop him. Christmas, here's what this means. As you look at that prophecy from Micah, maybe for some of you that's the first time you've seen it. It's just kind of buried in there in Micah. Here's what Christmas means. Christmas means you and I can trust God to fulfill his promises. Christmas means you and I can trust God. Every time you see one of these Christmas lights, I can trust God. He's going to fulfill his promises. Not even the most wicked ruler of the time, King Herod or Caesar Augustus, can stop him. Every time you open a gift, I can trust God to fulfill his promises. I love Isaiah 46. Oh, by the way, here, you want to see a picture of Church of Nativity where they believe Jesus was born? Right here, right here. There it is. And year after year, people just flock, thousands of people just flock there. Because that's where they believe was the birthplace of Christ. Whether it was or not, I don't know. But that's the church of the nativity where they see. And here's what we need to remember. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. He says, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring, oh, be encouraged with this. Declaring the end. Can you put that slide up, Jesse, please? Declaring the end from the beginning. That's all of human history is in the hand of God, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel, not Caesar's counsel, not your counsel, not mine. God says, my counsel shall stand. And look at this promise. I will accomplish all my purpose. See, Jesus has been God's plan of salvation from the beginning. 
but will you believe it? Will you trust that? Will you see the evidence? And that's just one of literally hundreds of prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Will you trust him? Nothing can stop God's plans and purposes. Will you submit to his timing and way for your good and his glory even when you can't see, when you're tempted to control things, when there's hardship, when there's grief, even over the holidays? Hey, question, let's bring it home. Who are you trusting in, the sovereign self or the sovereign God? Other people, governments, or the sovereign God in whose hands they are all in. Loved ones, I want you to look up. I just want you to see the lights. I want you to look around you today. Read the word. Draw near to the Lord and rest in him. That he will accomplish all his purpose. See, Christmas is God's good news of great joy that declares God confirms his plan his sovereign plan of salvation, and he can be trusted. And from this, secondly, we see this in verses 8 to 14. God's good news of great joy declares his promise. His promise. God grants salvation through Jesus alone. God grants salvation through Jesus alone. But here's the question facing you and I. You can hear that, but here's what it comes down to. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? See, after the birth of Jesus, more of the, I love this, oh, buckle up. More of the kingdom of heaven gets involved in declaring the good news of great joy. See, they're declaring that God is offering salvation to the world to save them from their sin and grant them peace with God and eternal life with him. And we see three truths right here. Get your pens ready. We see three truths of God's gift of salvation that we must believe if we are to receive this gift and have life in him. Number one, we see this. Salvation goes to the humble. Salvation goes to the humble. Go back to the text, verses 8 to 10, shepherds and angels. And in the same region, region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I'm just going to read that again. Just let, Don't miss that, just because it's like Christmas card central. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now think about this. Think about that moment right there. Don't just skip past it. Out of all the people in the world, that God could have announced the birth of the Messiah to, notice this, God didn't choose those in high up positions, did he? He didn't choose prestigious leaders like King Herod in Jerusalem or Caesar Augustus. He didn't choose the successful or arrogant, those who think they're it. He chose shepherds. 
You say, well, what's the deal with shepherds? Okay, here, here, a little background on shepherds, okay? Shepherds. This was the lowliest, most non-influential occupation. I mean, if you wanted to be a killjoy at a party, tell them you're a shepherd. It was the lowliest, most non-influential position in all of society. They were looked down on and considered ceremonially unclean because of their work. Sleeping with sheep, handling sheep, dung and dirt all over them all the time. Nobody wanted anything to do with shepherds. And yet, notice this. God chose those of humble estate. And notice, I love this. This just hit me afresh. He even chose the shepherds on the night shift. Like, that's amazing. He even chose the shepherds who were the bottom rung of the shepherd order. He chose the night shift. He comes to them. That was, that was amazing. This week, oh, I love that. The one, and these are the guys who didn't expect this to happen. They, look at, these shepherds knew they didn't deserve the gift of God. They were the ones who knew they needed the gift of God. They knew something was off. And they needed it desperately. They couldn't earn it. The shepherds couldn't earn the gift through their works, through their societal status. They had no chance. And they were completely dependent on the Lord for it. And it's the same today. Friends, loved ones, God draws near to the humble. God draws near to those who know they need him. Is that you? Is that you today? Something's not working. I've tried all those other things. God draws near to the humble. And look at verse 9. The angel appears suddenly in the light of the glory of God. Now what is the glory of God? The glory of God just means his majesty, the sum of all his attributes, his splendor, his presence, his power. Notice what it does? Pierces the darkness. I love that. John 1, 5. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When the God, light of God shines, the darkness always has to move. It pierces the darkness of the night. And notice the shepherds, rightly so. They're greatly terrified. But notice in verse 10. Go back to the text. The angel reassures them by telling them not to have great fear, but instead the opposite, to have great joy at the good news, the gospel news that they are about to hear that won't just be for the Jews, but for all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that humble themselves before the Lord. Will you humble yourself before him? What's it going to take? How far do you have to go? I love this. First thing we see, salvation goes to the humble. James 4, 6 makes this really clear. God opposes the proud. The word opposition there in the Greek means he actually draws the battle line against pride. But he gives grace to the humble. You want God's grace? Saving grace? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. First thing we see, salvation goes to the humble. Secondly, salvation is only through Jesus. Go to these, look at these two verses. Highlight these again and again and again. Verse 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. Here's the proof that this is true. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, the, the angel boldly proclaims. See, who's the first to proclaim the gospel? The angel. Love it. The angel boldly proclaims the gospel and tells these shepherds that in the city of David, Bethlehem, Jesus is born and he is the Savior, the Christ of the Lord. Did you notice? Okay, okay, Bible reading. Here we go. Did you notice the three titles the angel gave Jesus right there? Did you catch them? Mark them, circle them, highlight them. Number one, he calls them the Savior. The Greek word there for Savior means deliverer. He is the deliverer from sin. See, why is that so important? Here's what it means for you and I today. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us watching online has a problem. And it's a problem that not a single one of us can fix on our own. And that problem is sin. That problem is sin. And we have no chance of cleaning ourselves up enough to be right with God. Do you know what that means? It means we needed a savior. We need a savior. We need a deliverer. The one through whom God gives salvation. That's Jesus. But notice he doesn't stop there. He calls him the Savior. And then the angel goes on. He is the Christ. You know what the Christ means? You know the term Jesus Christ, right? The name Jesus Christ. It's at, Christ isn't actually Jesus' last name. Okay? It's like Jesus Christ. Actually, it's Jesus. And Christ means Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. I don't know, but for a long time I thought that was his last. Anyway, whatever. That's good. <laughs> All right? So we got the Messiah. Now I want you to notice the exclusivity here. It says in verse 11, who is the Christ? Is. You know what that term is means? It's exclusive. That means there's no other messiahs. No matter what false religions try to promote, no matter what this world says, you can be your own messiah. Or your bank account can be your messiah. Or your good works can be your messiah. There is no other messiah. There's one. He is Christ. Exclusive. The promised one from God. And the only one who can save. But he doesn't stop there. He says Jesus is the Savior. He says he's the Christ. And then thirdly, look, look, look. Did you get it? He is the Lord. The term the there, exclusive. There's no other Lord. There's no other God. It doesn't exist. The Lord. It is an exclusive claim of deity. And I don't know about you, but you look around today, there's lots claiming to be Lord. Even Caesar Augustus was claiming to be Lord. How'd that go? Exactly. <laughs> and you say, here's the proof. What's going to be the proof that this good news of great joy has happened? Verse 12. The shepherds, if you're hearing this, here comes the Messiah, here comes the deliverer. And, and the Jews knew there was a promised Messiah. They knew there was a promised deliverer. And so they're thinking, oh, white horse and swords and shields and all this. And here's the proof, guys. They're like, give me the warrior. And he says, you find a baby. Huh? You imagine if you're a shepherd. I mean, it's crazy enough you've got an angel talking to you. And now he's like, oh yeah, the one who's going to like rule, the one who's going to be the king of kings, Lord of lords, yeah, you're going to find him in a manger. He's not going to have on armor. He's got some swaddling cloths so he doesn't scratch himself in the face. Huh? Good news of great joy, huh? 
swaddling cloths. He is God Almighty himself who has, notice this, who, ha, who came to earth. Jesus came to earth fully God and fully man. Notice what this means. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. He came to live. He came to live a perfect life for 33 years. Sinless perfection. Was tempted in every way you and I are. You are not alone in your temptation. Jesus was tempted in every way you and I are. And yet he did not sin once. Even from a very young age. His entire life. That's why in Luke 135, if you just go back a few verses, the angel tells Mary, the child will be called holy, sinless. This is Jesus. He came to earth. He came to live. He came to die. Jesus came to pay the penalty Pay the penalty for your sin and mine and take the wrath of God that separates us from God. He was our substitute in our place. You know, my mind was freshly blown away this Christmas in preparation for this by thinking, think about this. Jesus' first days on earth, he was laid in a wooden manger. And his last days on earth as a human, fully God, fully man, and his ministry was laid on a wooden cross. He came to die out of his great love for you and I to pay the penalty for our sin that separates us from God. And without a savior, we will be eternally separated from God in hell. But Jesus came to die for you and me. But that's not all. He didn't stay in the ground. He didn't stay in the tomb. He came to rise. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death and offering the forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who look at the text, humble themselves, repent of their sin, and by faith confess him as Lord and Savior. Hail the incarnate deity. Salvation goes to the humble. Salvation is through Jesus alone. And we see this in verses 13 to 14. Let's go there. Salvation is for peace. For peace. Look at verse 13 and 14. Let's go back to the text. And suddenly, this just keeps getting better. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God. What a moment. Put yourself in that field. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, after the gospels preached by the angels, that is the good news of the person and work of Christ, the choir shows up. Now, hey, I'm just going to give you a little spoiler alert. In just a few minutes, you're going to have a 30-person choir up here who is pretty cute and pretty sweet. As much as I love our Hope kids, and I love them dearly, this choir is nothing compared to the one that the shepherds are looking at right now. This is the multitude of heavenly hosts that show up. And the, and the multitude there, the Greek word for multitude, it's not like, hey, here's like five angels, we'll go send with that guy. It means army. There's literally, the heavens crack open and there's literally thousands of angels in that choir. Think about how loud that must have been. 
Think about that's amazing. And they declare that God is to receive all glory in the highest. That means in all of heaven for his work of salvation as he, out of his grace and pleasure and love towards man, calls and draws people to himself and reveals himself to them and that they by faith repent of their sin and believe in and surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Here's what it means. Peace with God to those whom he's pleased. They will have peace with God here on earth and for all eternity. Now, when you think peace, maybe some of you are like, yeah, when I think peace, I'm thinking like a good book with a steaming cup of tea and just no noise. You know what? That can be nice, but that's not true peace. Here's what we're talking about. When God says peace, it means you are forgiven. Every sin you have done, are doing right now, and will do in the future, God already knows. And Jesus took the penalty for that sin for you. Because he knew it was coming. And there's a death sentence because of our sin. And Jesus is like, I'll take it, Father. I love them. It means you're forgiven. It means you are justified before God. God, the righteous judge, he looks at you if you are saved in Christ and you are justified, which means that you are declared righteous before God. So that when God looks at you, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, he no longer sees you in your sin. He sees you as having never sinned. That's good news of great joy. He sees you as if you've never sinned once because he sees you through the blood of his perfect son who never sinned once and was our substitute. It means peace means you are given eternal life, right relationship with God, no longer his enemy, no longer separated, but adopted as his child into the family of God. And if you're saved in Jesus Christ here tonight, just look around this room and your brothers and sisters, welcome to the family of God. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Hail the incarnate deity. Amen? Praise the Lord. I love how John Piper sums up Christmas. Everything the angels just declared here, right here. Christmas, the Son of God expressing the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so we could enjoy the presence of God. Peace with those to whom he is pleased. God grants salvation through Jesus alone. But here's the question facing you and I right now. Are you going to believe this? Or is this a, well, it's not for me thing. Really? You sure you want to go there? See, God's good news of great joy confirms his sovereign plan, declares his salvation promise, And this brings us all here, final point today. God's good news of great joy leads to your response and mine. Leads to your response. So here's the truth facing us from what we've just heard from the Lord. Everyone responds to God's good news of great joy. It's impossible to not respond when you hear it. Everyone responds in one way or another. Here's the question of Christmas. How will you respond to Jesus? That's the question of Christmas. How will you respond to Jesus? See, here in verses 15 to to 20, we see the response of the people, three groups of people, actually, to God's good news of great joy that is salvation in Jesus Christ. Notice the first group. 
How do the shepherds respond? Look at 15 to 17. Go back to the text. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. See what the shepherds do right there? They hear the gospel. What do they do? They humble themselves and believe God's word. They humble themselves and they believe God's word. The promise of God. And notice in verse 15, they said, let us go to Bethlehem. They're not kicking their heads. Maybe we'll get around to Bethlehem later. He said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. There's no doubt in their mind that it's happened. Let's go see what's happened. And even though they haven't seen Jesus yet, and what's the evidence of their faith? Notice what they do. They don't kick the tires. They make, what does the word say? Haste. Haste. There's no delay. They find Mary and Joseph and see Jesus exactly as God told them they would. Because God had a plan. There's no stopping his plan. And then in verse 17, notice what they do. Now the shepherds begin preaching. They start declaring all that they heard. They preach in the gospel to those around them. And then as they realize now their sins are forgiven, they have peace with God. Look at how they respond in verse 20. They go from proclamation to praise. Look at 20. And the shepherds return to the field glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told of them. They go away made new in Jesus, new life, and are filled with great joy as they go glorifying and praising the Lord. See, here's the beautiful thing we see from these humble little shepherds. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, you don't want to keep the gospel to yourself. You can't. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. He's like, let's go. You are to be my witnesses. You praise Jesus and you proclaim Jesus. But notice this. There's another group. Did you see the other group? Verse 18, the crowd. Look at verse 18. Go back to verse 18. And all who heard the shepherds preaching, notice this, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. They heard it and they're wondering, huh, sounds interesting. Huh, wonder if that's true. See, they hear and wonder. Well, that sounds good, but there's no evidence of true belief. Let me make something very clear, loved ones. Eyes up here. Hearing God's word is not the same as believing God's word. We can be very religious and yet be very unregenerate. The crowd, here's the shepherds, and they're, they're wondering, hey, sounds okay, sounds cool, but not for me besides Mary and Joseph. And then you see the third group, third person, Mary. Verse 19, you see how she responds? Go back to the text. Here it is. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. See what Mary does? I love this. She treasures up what's happened. That means the word treasure there means to keep them closely in her mind, meditating on them, thinking on them. And she ponders. The word ponders there means to reflect or think intentionally on it, what has happened in her heart. A heart filled with humility and gratefulness towards God for the astounding grace of salvation that he has shown her and extended to all who would believe. I love that. Last question. 
Everyone responds to God's good news of great joy. Everyone, including you and I, even right now. How will you respond to Jesus? The question of Christmas. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, friend, I implore you. Maybe you've heard this Christmas story many times, just like the group here. You're filled with wonder. Okay, sounds good enough for me. Really? I implore you, friend, will you respond like the crowd, hearing the truth, wondering about the truth, but not believing the truth, and still enslaved to your sin, separated from God, hardened heart, no true joy, no hope, no peace, no true love available for you? Or will you respond like the shepherds, humble, and humble yourself before God, believing the word, believing God's word about Jesus Christ, confessing him as Lord, that you may have peace with God tonight. Peace with God and glorify him. See, the shepherds thought it would just be another ordinary night, but didn't they? Maybe that's what you've believed coming in here tonight. Just another ordinary Christmas service. I pray not. Don't harden your heart. And brothers and sisters, here's our challenge. How are you responding to Jesus? How are you in the day-to-day responding to Jesus? Are you preparing for joy every day? Preparing your heart for joy? Is the gift of Jesus and the salvation and peace with God that you have because of him? Hey, 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 is it up here? Eyes up here. Is it still good news of great joy to you? Or has familiarity trumped your awe? Is it still good news of great joy? See the response, this great news, the gospel news must lead us to every day. Are you proclaiming the gospel? Verses 15 to 17, as the shepherds did with urgency and boldness and joy for God's gift of grace to you. Or has your love for Christ and the fervency for the gospel witness grown cold? Are you pondering the gospel like Mary, verse 19, in your heart or just distracted from it with so much that's happening? And lastly, do you still treasure Jesus or has he become simply useful to you? Is he a treasure to you or just useful? And are you praising him for the gospel? Verse 20, loved ones, this is God's good news of great joy that confirms his sovereign plan, that declares his saving promise and leads to our response. One more time. The good news of great joy is that Jesus has come. Put that on the screen team, please. And all who believe in him will Be saved. Merry Christmas, loved ones. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, this is staggering. You are an awesome God. Your love is so confounding to us. Your grace is so astounding to us that you would take on flesh, leaving perfect glory And humble yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. I pray that as your word has gone forth, you would fulfill your promise that it would not come back void and achieve the purpose in each person's heart for which it is being sent. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for the Savior. May we not leave it here in this room, but change us, change us, and fix our eyes on him. In Jesus' name, amen.